Blackwood Bams Radio, another edition brought to you by Bama Sports Radio. We're part of their family. And uh, we just got done with a trip down to the plains of Auburn, where we became, for one day anyway, part of the family. And it was uh, Alabama in the Iron Bowl, uh, breaking open a close game in the second half and coming home with a 29-13 to win behind the uh, Iron Bowl record 271 yards rushing and uh, Derrick Henry was once again a workhorse. I am your host, Kerry Clark of BamaMag.com, joined by Thomas Watts of Touchdown Alabama. Our, uh, he's our producer back in the studio. And then Trudy Armand, who hosts Talking Ball on ESPN 97.7 The Zone in Huntsville. Uh, he had to work late today, but he's going to be joining us in the next 20 to 25 minutes. We have a really full show tonight at a quarter after the hour. Uh, you, we'll have William Redfish Barger to, to help us break down the Iron Bowl and also all the changes going on in the coaching world, many of which affect the University of Alabama. Uh, and then in hour number two, we'll have a representative uh, that writes the for the Florida Gators beat. And we'll also have Kirk McNair, who writes for the Alabama beat at BamaMag.com. He's the publisher there. And, uh, of course, our weekly call from Big C. So uh, all that will be going on here tonight on BAMS Radio. We thank you for joining us. Uh, It's also the first night of Super 6, which is being played down in Tuscaloosa at Bryant-Denny Stadium between uh, Spain Park, and this is the 7A championship game, by the way. Spain Park is taking on McGill Tulin, where our own Thomas Watts did graduate from a few years back, and uh, it appears that Spain Park is trailing McGill Tulin 7-3, midway through the second quarter. So we'll keep you posted on that. Uh, probably not any Bama prospects in this particular game, but uh, you never know. Sometimes people surface as walk-ons late in their career. You never even heard of them until they get to Alabama. So that's always possible. And then uh, I'll be covering uh, tomorrow night for BamaMag.com the matchup between St. Paul's of Mobile, which is in Thomas's neighborhood, and Mortimer Jordan. St. Paul's has a junior prospect and a sophomore prospect worth writing about. And then Mortimer Jordan uh, has an Alabama-committed baseball player uh, in their backfield whose older sister happens to be All-American center fielder soft, uh, Haley McClinney of the Tide softball team. So, uh, But I guess what we'll do first while we wait on Drew and, and Redfish Thomas is uh, we'll go ahead and talk a little bit more about the Iron Bowl I had predicted a score of, of something like 42 to 14. That's what I was going to go with. Uh, we didn't have our show last week, but I did go with it online. Uh, it was much closer than that. Uh, the final score was 29 to 13, and Alabama did drop one touchdown pass. It could have made another four-point difference. But, and then Auburn did have a, a, a BS prayer of Jordan Hare part two. But overall, it, it seemed like, it, at least for the second half of play, that Alabama pretty much dominated, uh, if not on the scoreboard, and certainly on the field. Absolutely, Kerry. And statistically, it, if you look, at, if you watch the game, you got one set of ideas. I know that I was fairly surprised. I thought Auburn hung in pretty well. The uh, the prayer in Jordan Hare part two got the uh, got the you know got Auburn to keep him in the game, but. Statistically, Alabama really dominated that game. And, yeah, you know, you have to feel pretty good. I personally had it 35-10. So I was in the ballpark, 
but it's it's another great performance from Derrick Henry, you know, 271 yards, which is just a comically high number of yards. He'll probably get over 2,000 maybe by the end of the regular season, and I'm including championship week, which is next week, in that if he gets over 2,000, he's going to run away with the Heisman in my mind. But just, you know, another great performance from the Crimson Tide defense particularly. I I can't get mad if Javon Robinson did some things. Javon Robinson's a very, very good tailback. Uh, unfortunately, uh, Jeremy Johnson is is just not an SEC-level quarterback. And the few throws he made that looked even close to SEC level were dropped by his wide receivers. For Gus Malzahn's supposed offensive genius, the Auburn offense looks like a radioactive dumpster fire right now. It looks so bad. And that's you know for for a football you know I'm not I'm not an Auburn fan obviously but from an Auburn fan perspective that's unfortunate because for all of the stuff that Auburn fans uh, have said you know offensively blah 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 Will Muschamp has helped that defense a little bit it's gotten better over the year but you know y- you can't really help too much when your offense puts you in a bad position and can't bail you out that's Go, and honestly, Carrie, I think we saw a preview of what's going to happen in Atlanta this weekend with the Florida Gators. It's going to be a very similar game in my mind. Well, the quarterback play will be similar. That's uh, true. You're right about the statistics, Thomas. Alabama, Alabama had 465 yards total offense, and uh, Auburn had 260. Now, let's, let's talk about that 260 Auburn had. 74 of it came on the BS prayer tip. So, Otherwise, you're looking at about 186 for Auburn. If that guy doesn't tip the ball to himself and Geno Smith doesn't take a horrible angle and make a silly dive, if all those things don't happen, you're looking at about 186. In the great hurry-up, no huddle that people were saying Saban would never be able to stop, well, he's found a way to stop it. Uh, You know, Alabama won the game 29-13, to to but – it, it really could have been a lot worse. Uh, you're talking about drops. Our Darius Stewart dropped the touchdown pass that cost Alabama four points. Uh, he did make a nice catch on a couple other plays, though. He had, he had several good plays. Yeah, I think he had eight catches. It was a good game overall for our Darius, but he still had a couple of drops. Calvin Ridley had a very wonderful catch to put Alabama on the doorstep, only to end up being held by a field goal. And then you had the whole issue of the field being apparently wet uh, for some unknown reason. Quote-unquote unknown reason. Yeah, apparently the, the ground... But that good. backfired a little bit on Auburn as well. Yes, Derrick Henry slipped up. Yeah. No, I, I, that's true, I think, yeah. was out there maybe Thursday. Yeah, they had reported Thursday, which really confused me. I didn't really understand why that would happen because the, fan, the field is... At the end of a football season... And this happens everywhere. Like, turn on the Super 6, and even if you're not a McGill tool or a Spain Park person, look at the condition of the field at Bryant-Denny. It's got some wear and tear on it. Every single field's going to have wear and tear, but it almost felt like the Auburn grounds crew just utterly forgot about that. So 
I, I don't want to throw shade on Auburn, but it was also completely confusing to me as to why something like that would happen. Well, it was Bush League, and it, and it, it backfired a little bit on them, too, because in two of the three occasions where Jeremy Johnson was sacked, he slipped. And uh, Alabama guys got credit for a sack, but truth be told, it, it would have taken another half second to second to take him down had he not slipped. The third time, he just got bottled up, and he was just flat-out sacked. But, uh, and Jake Coker was not sacked at all. And while Jake Coker didn't have a great game, he had a gritty game. And the play he made where he threw the touchdown, two plays he made, Thomas. The play he made where he shook off Carl Lawson and then outran another guy to throw the touchdown to Darius. And then another play where he was looked like sacked for about 15-yard loss and, and ended up getting within a yard of a first down if they made the next play. Those two runs by Jake Coker pretty much exemplified the, the grit that composes the young man from St. Paul's in your neighborhood there. Uh, you're absolutely right. Uh, it, it, it sound, it's been overused, but Jake Coker's Johnny Manziel impression on that 34-yard touchdown, was it was just a spectacular play. And it was completely unexpected for almost anybody. Yes, I absolutely agree that Jake Coker played a gritty game. And, again, spinning narrative forward. Alabama's going to need that if they – oh, I think they'll beat Florida even if Jake Coker has an off game, to be quite honest with you. Their offense is so awful. But none of the teams that Alabama would see in the college football playoff whether it's an Oklahoma or a Clemson or an Iowa or a Michigan State, depending on who you think wins where, none of those teams are pushovers. And Alabama's going to have to give those guys their best shot because they're certainly going to receive it. So, you know, again, great game by Jake Coker. I've been – I will eat some crow pie and say I never expected him to do what he's done this season. I thought he would turn into – he would be a liability – for this Crimson Tide football team. And I would say at this point, he absolutely has not been that, particularly down the stretch for the Crimson Tide. No, he's, you know, and Saban has explained this, but, but I'm not sure if the listeners totally understand it. Maybe they do, but let me just recap. Every time they get to the line of scrimmage, Jake Coker has one running play and one passing play he's been given. He has to look at the defense and see how many guys are in the box, what kind of coverage the secondary is in. He has to decide all that before he audibles out to the offense which play they're going to go with. Now, at the same time, Ryan Kelly's got to take that information from Jake Coker and dictate it to the offensive line. They're blocking sign. All that's going on on the clock's running. And Jake Coker, to his credit, Thomas, uh, it looks probably higher probably closer to 85 90% of the time, has been, at least since, say, 1st of October, has been getting Alabama in the right play. And that's per Saban and Kiffin. That's not per Kerry Clark. No, I, I completely agree with that, even if it was just per Kerry Clark. If you look at the first, the front half of the Alabama football season, there are a whole bunch of tackles for loss for Derrick Henry or sacks or, or whatever. As the season has gone on, that – has certainly fallen to the wayside. And this is when you've got Derrick Henry running the ball 30 and 35 times. And as good as Derrick Henry is with a head of steam, if you penetrate in the backfield and make him cut before he's gotten going, he's not. that's not his game. 
And for Alabama to have consistently cut down on their tackles for loss speaks to Jake Coker's ability to execute the right play. And, you know, as somebody, I never played football, but I watch a ton of it, and I watch it from a ton of angles. It's not always easy to see what a defense is going to do. There are some things you can do to get the tells of a defense, like motions and how the defense adjusts to that. And to Lane Kiffin's credit, that's a lot of what Alabama does to give Jake Coker a solid clue as to what's going to happen. But even doing that, you have to be able to process that information. And Again, I completely agree. Jake Coker is processing information before the snap very well. There are times his during-the-play data processing can leave you kind of scratching your head a little bit. But unless your name is Peyton Manning or Tom Brady, that's going to be a problem at times for you as a quarterback. So, I, you know... I don't. I can't complain about the guy. He is what he is. Is he going to be a number one overall first round pick, all everything world beating quarterback? No, he isn't. But what he is is just what Alabama needs going forward. You know, in, throughout the rest of the season, in my mind. Something else that has contributed to the, and you make a great point about Jake's improvement regarding getting us in the right play. But something else, Thomas, uh, according to the players that has contributed to the decline, and what's needed to decline, I might add, in the yards for lost plays on offense is during the bye week, the offensive line feels like they kind of gelled as a unit, the five guys or the six guys if you count the tight end. They felt like they kind of gelled and came together during the bye week. And since that time, what was a uh, a true cross to bear for this team in, in offensive plays resulted in lost yardage has become basically a non-conversation. You're absolutely right. And you only need to look at the offensive numbers to back that up. If if you flash back with me to the LSU game, you know, November 3rd or whatever it was, Alabama while their offense wasn't awful, you know, Derrick Henry had already put up the 200 on Texas A&M and he'd done a bunch of work against other teams, but he'd also had some games where while he had yards, particularly something like Arkansas, he was able to have yards, but his yards per carry average was nothing to be blown away by. But since then, Derrick Henry, behind that offensive line, has just been ripping off 200-yard games against Power 5 competition. LSU's defensive line, while I'm not blown away by their interior, is still a talented group, and Derrick Henry had 200. And then you go to the next week, a traditional trap game for the Crimson Tide in Mississippi State. And Manny Diaz, to his credit, knew that he had to play an all-or-nothing defensive style. And what I mean by that is a lot of his guys on the defensive line were slanting and trying to get penetration and stop Derrick Henry in the backfield. That happened a couple of times, but once the offensive line adjusted, Derrick Henry just started tearing off long runs. So... And then I don't even need to say anything about Auburn. We've already said Auburn, obviously. And of those 46 carries, Carrie, you'll have to help me out with the statistic because I don't want to get it wrong. Either one or none of them, of those 46, resulted in any lost yardage, which is just insane, just ridiculous. Great performance. And, you know, I don't don't mean to keep saying they're really going to need that in the playoff or whatnot, but there are some hosses. You know, Florida's, you know, even looking next week at the SEC championship game, or this week, excuse me, 
Florida's defensive front seven, if Alabama wasn't in the SEC, Florida's front seven would be the best one in the SEC by a pretty long shot. It's a very, very good group. So, you know, that's just – it just plays more into this narrative of the offensive line has come and they're going to need to be there going forward, and you've got to feel good that they have been there, you know? Sure, I do. And it's thinking about feeling good. What I'm going to do, Thomas, is uh, we haven't done a participation chart in a few weeks, but this was the Iron Bowl and only 51 guys got in for Alabama. So I'm going to rattle off the participation chart live, and I'm going to give you time to uh, get our first guest on the phone. Yes, sir. Going to work on it. Okay. Well, 51 guys got into Alabama's Iron Bowl victory down at Jordan-Hare Stadium. I'll start with your starting offense. Uh, You had Cam Robinson, Pierce Baker, Kelly, uh, Big Shank, Taylor, Dom Jackson returned, and O.J. Howard up front. And in your backfield, you had Coker, uh, you had uh, Derrick Henry, and you had three receivers that started, Mulaney, Ridley, and, and uh, also our Derrick Stewart, who had a catch at the good game. Defensively, Sean Robinson, John Allen, Jaron Reed, Denzel Duvall, who got hurt but is reportedly okay for Florida with a sprained knee, seems to be all right. Uh, linebackers, Ragland, Reuben Foster, uh, and then in the secondary, they did start five guys. So Cyrus Jones, Rollin Humphrey, Eddie Jackson, Gino Matias-Smith, and another guy returned to the lineup this week, Mika Fitzpatrick. Off the bench, uh, the Tide was able to get in Ronnie Harrison, Bradley Sylvie, Tony Brown. And Tony was the dime this game, not Mo Smith, and make that clear. But Tony also played well on special teams, as he always does. Cam Sims, Deshaun Hand, uh, Deron Payne, J.K. Scott uh, at punter, Cooper Bateman, Sean Dion Hamilton, Mo Smith did play special teams, just not defense. Ryan Anderson, Dylan Lee, Sean Burgess Becker on special teams, Rashawn Evans, same. Uh, Damian Harris, Keith Holcomb, who was the special team player this week. Mike Nicewander, uh, Christian Miller, Dalvin Tomlinson, Cole Mazza, Tim Williams, who had good pressure on the quarterback most of the evening. DJ Petway, Brandon Green, who played more tight ends than tackle. In fact, he played all tight ends. Uh, Bradley Bozeman. Corin Kervin, Hale Hentges, Dakota Ball, Darren Lake, and Adam Griffith. Corin Kervin, although he didn't play offensive line, he did come in uh, as a blocker on all the kicking attempts. Uh, and Adam Griffith had a phenomenal game, people. Uh, seven of his eight kicks were touchbacks. The one that was not a touchback, the desperation situation, when they were down 29-13, and the return man was told to bring it out, whatever, just to try to make a play. Otherwise, he'd have been eight for eight. But seven for eight on kickoffs on touchbacks. Uh, Five for five on field goals, two for two on extra points. Uh, he was not only an Alabama coach's special team player of the week, he also was a uh, the Southeastern Conference player of the week. So that's that's where that stands. Adam Griffith had another another great game. And um, we're going to go ahead and prepare for our first guest of the night. But before we bring him on, Thomas has a word from our sponsor. Absolutely, Kerry. I'm going to talk real quick about a new sponsor for uh... – Blama Sports Radio, harrys.com. Harrys.com is a uh, razors and whole shaving kit thing for men. A couple of interesting facts about Harry's. The guys at Harry's not only deliver an amazing shave, but they also give 1% of their sales and 1% of the time back to the communities that they serve. And the shave itself is really a superior shave. The razors come from a razor factory in Germany that's been crafting some of the world's highest quality blades for almost a century. And we have a promotion for you today. Today, if you go to harrys.com, 
As a special offer for all of our listeners at Bama's Radio and on Bama Sports Radio, Harry's will give you $5 off your first order with promo code BAMA. That's, eight, that's Harry's, H-A-R-R-Y-S dot com, and enter promo code BAMA to save yourself a little bit of money and uh, use a truly superior product. But, uh, Harry, on top of bringing on Redfish, I'm actually about to bring Drew on. So, you know, it's going to be a, a wild little few, minutes, few seconds here as we get everybody back in. Well, I think it's very appropriate, Thomas, uh, that you mentioned a new sponsor named Harry's because our next guest knows a whole lot about Harry's, uh, at least the one in Tuscaloosa, the establishment. And uh, I want to bring him on because I know he's been there a number of times, although we're not bringing him on to talk about Harry's Bar. But I do want to go ahead and welcome in both Drew DeArmond of 977 in Huntsville and our first guest of the hour, William Redfish Barger. Mr. Barger, how are you doing tonight, sir? <laughs> laughing at you when when Thomas first started doing that ad spot, uh, that was the first thing that I thought of was uh, my God, is this my favorite watering hole a sponsor of this show now? Well, you're the only guy I know that was. Uh, Amer- Whoa, <laughs> okay. We well, William, you're the only guy I know. Yeah. That, uh, <laughs> William's the only guy I know, and the only guest we'll ever have on this show. That, that accomplished two things in Tuscaloosa that, that until at least now nobody else has. Freshman All-American on the offensive line and senior All-American uh, at tailchasing.com. So, uh, he, you know, he's, he's multi-talented, man. And, but, William, let's start off by talking about what you saw. And, and, you know, the scoreboard didn't show domination, I'll admit that. But the stat sheet did, and the time of possession did, and I, I just, uh, I, I got to just get your overall impressions of last week's Iron Bowl. You know, Kerry, the the thing that stands out to me the most about the game is uh, Jake Coker's performance. Um, you know, I, I've never seen uh, a quarterback at Alabama that, and this is going back to. I, you know, I can't remember the date. I don't have a calendar in front of me. Let's just say August the 15th, um, the first scrimmage that I got up and walked out of after an hour and 15 minutes because the quarterbacks were so bad. You know, I think Jake Coker was – and, again, it was a passing scrimmage, so the, the numbers are a little bit skewed. But I promise you, I think if he threw 40 passes, he only completed six of them. And, you know, me and, and the guy that I was with, um, he, he didn't want to leave, and I did. And I said, well, if you want to ride back to Birmingham, we're out of here. I, I've never seen a uh, a quarterback at Alabama come as far as I've seen Jake Coker um, come this year. And, and, you know, being a former offensive lineman, you know, what, what you want out of your quarterback is, is somebody that when you get in the huddle and you look in his eyes, he's not scared. Um, he may not have the most command over the offense, but the thing that really sticks out to me, um, you know, in that game from last Saturday, um, you know, was the play where, where Jake Coker absolutely shut down Auburn's two five-star defensive ends, Byron Callard and Carl Lawson and threw a John Elway, you know, laser rope for a touchdown to Ardarius Stewart. And, you know, there were other plays in that game, um, you know, where, where he, you know, scrambled around and made things happen with his feet. But, you know, this is a guy that, 
you know, I've really fallen in love with is Fall. Um, is he the best quarterback I've ever seen at Alabama? No, he's not. But just he's so salty. Uh, you can tell that it, it's important to him to be the quarterback at Alabama. Um, is he a, a perfect package on a silver platter? No, he's not. But, man, I've just got so much respect for that kid, um, the way that he plays every Saturday. I, I think you get, you know, every ounce of ability that he's got. And, you know, there's been flashes of brilliance um, with his feet and his arm, you know, throughout the fall. And I just can't say enough. Um, about how he's represented the, the University of Alabama, um, you know, both on the field and in the media. Um, you know, when you see a kid, uh, you know, interviewed by CBS after the Tennessee game, I think it was, you know, where he said he was living the dream. Um, you know, I think you have to respect that. And, uh, you know, for, for all the, you know, oh. the accolades that, that have gone on with this team this year, they've all been defensive-oriented, Gary. Uh, but I, I just don't think people really appreciate um, to the extent that they need to what, what we've gotten out of Jake Coker this year as a leader. And we won't we won't reiterate that conversation we had back in August when the four of us gave our picks to be who who'd be the quarterback. We'll just let that go. But uh, I, won't, <laughs> I want Thomas to know that as the first half is, is winding down, uh, only four seconds to go, Thomas, at Brian Dean Stadium in the 7A final. Your McGill 2 and Yellow Jackets are, are leading Spain Park already 14-3 to and are about to attempt a field goal that could give them another score advantage. So uh, a lot of people were picking Spain Park. I, I didn't really buy that. Um, McGill's got a lot of speed, a lot of athleticism, and they're currently trying about a 42-yard field goal, and it is way short. So your halftime score is 14-3, to McGill 2 and Thomas. So I just want to keep you updated on that. Go and I also want to go ahead and bring in – yeah, the Jackets are getting it done right now. And I want to bring our other colleague, uh, who's had a very busy day. He's already hosted two shows in Huntsville, and he's been kind enough to join us tonight. Drew, I'll let you we'll, – we'll treat this kind of like a little press conference, Drew. I'll let you start out with a comment about the Iron Bowl, and we didn't ask if we give you your first question. It was basically, uh, you know, just the Derrick Henry show. Anytime you eclipse Bo Jackson – in the record books, and then you and you have carried the football uh, the more times than only one man, and that is uh, uh, Herschel Walker is the only one to carry more than three shots in a game, and you carry the team on your back. you got to give Derrick Henry a lot of credit, but you also got to give the offensive line that's taken a lot of line since the bye week after Tennessee has improved. I thought they had a, another really nice performed. I, I uh, concur with what William said about Joker, and uh, I think he's come a long way. Though I will mention that uh, I did have a conversation with Kerry Clark on the way back home, or to the car after the Ole Miss game, where Kerry did want uh, Coker bench for Blake Barnett, but I did say that you just couldn't do that to him because he'd laid his guts on the line, and like William said, He's laid his guts on the line every week since then. He's improved. He's pretty, no, uh, but he brought a lot of intangible. Even Pat Dye said the same on my show today, uh, that he just really likes Coker. He thinks Coker may even play in the NFL. He likes the way his teammates respond to him, and he was really complimentary of Jake Coker and what he's done. And, and then, of course, Adam Griffith. Uh, in one season – uh, William talked about how far Jake Coker's come, but look how far Adam Griffith has come. He started 0 for 4. Uh, many people wanted him replaced. Uh, he goes 5 for 5 
Auburn shows the kick six, you know, five, six times, whatever it was, on the Renna Center uh, jumbotron, uh, trying to mess with his head before the game. Uh, they put a guy back there from when he's about to attempt a 50-yarder to mess with his head. And it's a, it was a wise move. What if he had kicked it short? You got a chance to return it. But they also did it to mess with him. He boots it. You know, it would have been good from 65 yards. Just be happy for Adam Griffith. And you, and now everyone knows his story from the season uh, as a Polish immigrant and what he's gone through. But he's now kicking like the number one kicker in the country. And it's really a redemption story kind of like Lee Tiffin who did the same thing in 2006. And then by the time he's a senior, he was one of the best kickers in America for the 2009 National Championship team. So just really proud of the team overall. And, 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 what, and the one thing I would add really as far as the game is uh, what what were your thoughts on the defense, except for the fluke play? And it really was a great effort by, by Jason Smith, who, by the way, is a McGill, too, and Yellow Jack, uh, who scored a touchdown for Auburn. But I thought defense. Essentially, uh, Alabama did a heck of a job, uh, you know, uh, defending Auburn. Auburn early, the interior of the line got some push, and they made some plays running the ball, but they were able to adjust in the second half. And then I also wanted to ask William, because I know being a player in high school and college, uh, what did you think about, they're not going to admit it, but Auburn soaking the field? Well, you know, the, the biggest thing, Drew, that, that I took away from, from that game from a, a fan standpoint is, uh, you know, the the way that, that Stan White acted on the radio broadcast. And I've known Stan since we were in the eighth grade. And, uh, you know, I, I don't really know what's happened, um, you know, for him to, you know, he, he's you know, he inherited his dad's State Farm Insurance Agency in Bessemer. He's, he's you know, married to a former uh, Washington Redskins cheerleader. He's got a great life. And I, I don't know what happened for Stan to go that far off the reservation to make the comments that he did. I know there's been, you know, some damage control and tweets that have been sent out, you know, since that stuff on the radio was said. But that that was probably the biggest disappointment for me was, you know, for Stan to, you know, go on the attack the way that he did. Um, you know, as far as the field being wetted down, um, you know, I, I don't have any concrete information one way or the other, um, you know, to say whether that was intentional or not. I, I know there wasn't any, um, you know, monsoon thunderstorms that came through Lee County on Saturday, so something had to go on for the field conditions to uh, deteriorate the way that they did. Um, and certainly it was it was a lot more problematic for Alabama than it was uh, for Auburn. You know, maybe the, the Under Armour cleats are a little bit more suited for that situation than Nike cleats. I don't know. Uh, but, yeah, I, I agree with what Drew said, you know, about, you know, Adam Griffin. Um, and I think that's kind of been, you know, the theme of this Alabama team um, throughout the whole fall, um, you know, a couple months ago, people were wanting that Mario Cristobal to be fired, and, and all he's done is produce the, uh, you know, one of the five finalists for the for the, you know, the first year that the Joe Moore Offensive Line Trophy has been in place. Um, you know, a Heisman Trophy winner and, and Derek Henry, and, and oh by the way, for all the people that you know, think that Derrick Henry's gotten all those yards without any good blocking up front. You're idiots if you think that. Um, you know, Lane Kiffin, 
Um, you know, has rehabilitated his image as a quarterback coach and, and, a, and an offensive coordinator. I mean, you know, look, look at the body of work that, that Lane has done in the last two years at Alabama. Um, he's produced two Heisman Trophy candidates. Um, if they win Saturday, which I expect them to, playoffs, um, you know, he's a redemption story, as is Adam Griffin. Um, you know, the defense, you know, it speaks for itself. Um, I fully believe that this is the best front seven that Nick Saban has produced um, as a college football coach. Um, just, just you know, everything, you know, what what any Alabama fan has to be upset or disgruntled about right now, you know, if you get on the Internet and you go to message boards, you know, you would think the sky is falling because, you know, Kirby Smart's going to be the next head coach at Georgia. Um, you know, we're going to lose the, the strength and conditioning coach, Scott Cochran. Listen, as long as that little angry man is the head coach, there's nothing to be upset about as an Alabama fan. Um, you know, change is good. Um, and I think, you know, that's something that Nick has really excelled as as a head coach since coming to Alabama is when he loses one coach or two coaches or three coaches, you know, 95% of the time the people that he's replaced, the departed coaches with, have been an upgrade. And I think Gren goes to Georgia with Kirby Smart. He's going to find a strength and conditioning coach. You know, people think that Scott Cochran created the fourth quarter program, which is a total fallacy. Nick Saban created the fourth quarter program when he was the head coach at Michigan State. It was utilized when he was the head coach at LSU. It's been utilized since he's been at Alabama. Um, just, you know, sit back and enjoy, um, you know, being a fan of a program that's got the best head coach in college football. Uh, you know, the eighth straight uh, year that they've been ranked in the top ten. Um, you know, he's averaged winning 12 ball games a year since 2008. I just don't understand all the hand-wringing and the the sense of uneasiness that the Alabama nation is in the midst of right now because there might be a defensive coordinator and a strength coach that jumps ships and goes to Georgia. William, let's uh, talk a little bit more about that. Uh, since I'm not supposed to call him your friend, tell me what you think your business associate, uh, Jeremy Pruitt, has in his immediate professional future. Um, you know, Kerry, the way I can put it is, you know, there have been discussions um, between Nick Saban and Jeremy Pruitt. Um, I, I think if we had had this conversation Monday night or Tuesday night, um, that Nick was set on naming Mel Tucker as the next defensive coordinator. Um at Alabama, but I think during the course of those conversations, uh, you know, something came to the surface that Nick wasn't really prepared for, and that's Mel Tucker's desire, um, you know, maybe not next week, but in the next calendar year or 24 months down the road, um, that he's got a desire to go back to the NFL and, and get his pension. Um, I think Nick's torn right now. 
um, with what is the the best hire for the DC role. Um, I do think it's, you know, kind of down to Mel Tucker and Jeremy Pruitt. I still don't think a final decision has been made on his end on which way he's going to go with that. Um, you know, you've got to... Um, you know, a, a public perception and an ego type situation in play. You know, do, do you do you do you bring Jeremy back if Mel Tucker stays, and you make them both co-defensive coordinators? One of them the assistant head coach. Um, neither one of them has ever coached linebackers. Um, not that that's a real challenging position for a seasoned you know college coach to morph into, but they're both DB coaches. Um, you know, I, I wished I could shed more light on the situation, but based on everything that I've been told, um, you know, in the last 24 hours, I don't think a final decision has been made yet on whether it's going to be Mel Tucker or Jeremy Pruitt as the DC. And, you know, regardless of what the situation is and what it ends up being, um, it's a good spot Saban to be in. You, you've got, you know, good, um, you know, two good coaches that are competing for the same spot. But, uh, but I do think in the course of, you know, talking with Mel Tucker um, this week, you know, something that, that kind of maybe paused Nick from pulling the trigger and, and giving him that position was – a long-term solution and, and some uh, solid as the defensive coordinator. You know, if, if Mel really wants to go back to the NFL after the 2016 season, um, you know, maybe Pruitt is the better choice because um, he's probably not going to get a, a legitimate head coaching offer um, that he would be interested in taking before then. And you've also got a recognizable name um, in the state of Georgia from a recruiting standpoint in, in Jeremy Pruitt versus Mel Tucker. Um, you know, these kids that, that, you know, that are being recruited for the 2016-2017 class over in that state, you know, they all know Jeremy Pruitt. Um, but, you know, they don't know who Mel Tucker is. So it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. You know, I'll probably know more about the situation by Friday. Um, but, you know, it's it's a wild and crazy time in college football. Um, you know, not that this is going to happen, but, you know, I had a source call me about 30 minutes ago and said that Lance Thompson wants to come back to Alabama. So, you know, not that that's going to happen. I'm not trying to insinuate that, but I think what I am trying to point out is um, I think Alabama fans should take a deep breath and take a step back from the ledge and realize just how fortunate they are to have somebody like Nick Saban pulling the strings on the Alabama program. It could be a lot worse because – you know, the one program in the SEC right now that I think has the most instability is Auburn. Um, you know, you've got Will Muschamp pursuing, uh, you know, the South Carolina head coaching job, the D.C. job at Georgia, and he has reached out to Nick Saban about the, the vacancy at Alabama. Um, you know, there's there's speculation from one source that I've got from a, 
a board of trustee member at South Carolina um, that if they're dumb enough to hire Will Muschamp as the head coach, he's taken every person from Auburn's defensive staff not named Rodney Garner with him to South Carolina. So, you know, it, it's the wild, wild rest right now um, with, with these coaching vacancies. And, William, I wanted to ask you too, um, and by the way, uh, I agree. I, I definitely think uh, that it'll be Pruitt or Mel Tucker. It would be great if they could – be co-defensive coordinators, but as you said, uh, the linebackers coach, the inside linebackers would need to be addressed, and we've talked about it before, but, the, you know, we've, we've brought up the name James Willis, and I know you were, uh, you were definitely in favor of that, and he's with the New Orleans Saints right now. Uh, also, uh, with uh, do you see Kirby Smart uh, retaining Kevin Shearer at Georgia, or would he be a candidate maybe at Alabama? No, I mean, I think there's a core group of guys, Drew, over there that, that Kirby wants to retain. I mean, Tracy Rocker's obviously one of them. Um, you know, Kevin Shearer's another one. Uh, John Lilly, um, you know, is certainly, you know, a guy that is, is a, you know, a, a very competent, you know, on-the-field coach and a recruiter. Um, I, I just think that, you know, you know, and this is just me talking. Um I've been totally baffled by the University of Georgia's um, approach to this coaching hire. You know, you're you're talking about a program that, you know, has the most fertile recruiting ground in the country. Um, I I, I totally agree with their, um, you know, decision to part ways with Mark Rick if they had a proven head coach lined up to take that job. If if I'm, you know, the, one of the powers to be at Georgia, I can think of 20 other names that are proven head coaches that I would have made tell me no before I picked up the phone and called Kirby Smart. You know, this, this smells and reeks of uh, the Alabama head coaching moves that were made under Mal Moore um, you know, with the Mikes and, and uh, the Fran and, and all those people. Um, I just don't understand it. But, you know, I'm not a Georgia fan, so, you know, fortunately it doesn't bother me that much. Um, I, I just don't understand it. I mean, that, that you should be able to pick up the phone. Um, if the money's there for facilities, if the money's there for a coaching staff, um, you know, I call John Harbaugh, I call David Shaw, um, I call Justin Fuente. I call Tom Herman. I can rattle off ten more names before I call Kirby Smart. But believe that's not our problem anymore. And uh, you know, I'll be real interested to see um, you know who Nick chooses to replace Kirby with. Because um, if you go back and you look over the you know the, the course of Nick's career at Alabama, um, you know he upgraded when Major Applewhite left. Um, you know, he, he he upgraded, you know, at coordinator spots. You know, Kevin still left. He got Kirby. Um, you know, McElwain left. Um, he probably hired somebody that wasn't quite as good as Mac and Doug Nussmeyer, but we still won a national championship with him. Um, you know, look at what Lane Kiffin's done. Um, you know, it's it's just – I think there's just too much panic and too much conversation and hand-wringing over, you know, let's not forget who's the one that's making these decisions. 
And, you know, like I said, as long as that little guy is sitting in that big office uh, down there at the Malmore Athletic Facility, I've got no concerns whatsoever. And, oh, by the way, uh, don't pay any attention to the Paul Feinbaum reports about Nick going back to the NFL. There's a better chance of me piloting the next space shuttle mission uh, than Nick going to the NFL. All right. Well, uh, further expounding on the coaching changes, William, uh, this is, the, I guess, a, a two-part question, but it involves, it involves two different guys that are probably heading two different directions if they leave. So I guess part one of the question is, does Kirby uh, plan to take Billy Napier? And part two, even if Kirby doesn't take him, is it true that, that Bo Davis may be planning another departure from Tuscaloosa? Um. You know, if you look at the names that have been floated out, Kerry, it looks like Kirby wants a hurry-up, no-huddle spread guy as his OC. Um, So I think that eliminates Napier. Um, I don't think he's going to leave Alabama to go over to Georgia and be the the wide receivers coach. Um, I would be shocked if Bo Davis left. Um, I, I think, you know, kind of like the Sal Sonseri and Lance Thompson and, you know, even to a certain extent the Jeremy Pruitts of the world, um, you know, I think Bo kind of learned his lesson um, when he left and, and went out to Texas. And I'll say this, you know, Bo came back to Alabama, a better defensive line coach when he left, um, when he came back. I mean, the, the, the routine that he has incorporated – um, you know, with the defensive line for batting balls down. He didn't learn that from Nick. He learned it while he was out there at Texas. And uh, I don't think that, that you're going to see the uh, mass exodus of, of Alabama coaches to Georgia, at least, under Kirby Smart, that, that a lot of people are expecting. Now, um, you know, could Scott Cochran go? Um, maybe. I'm not totally sold that he's going to leave. He's got one year left um, to be vested in the uh, Alabama State Retirement System um, if he stays one more year. Um, You know, I I wish there was something that could be worked out and done about Wayne Kiffin staying for one more year, but I have been told that, you know, if, if Kirby misses out on Tyson Helton, or, or plan B is the offensive coordinator that maybe Lane goes with uh, with Kirby to Georgia. And, you know, you're talking about somebody that, you know, may have to go find another job um, between the playoffs and, and National Signing Day and Kiffin. So that's a possibility. But, you know, I could care less that, you know, whoever this Schumann cat is um, that took Ed Marinowitz's old job, um, you know, if he leaves or, or some, you know, Abdullah Azir, um, you know, flunky in the in the recruiting department, if he goes. Um, and at the end of the day, um, you've got the best football coach in the history of college football, in my opinion, that's sitting back with 20 resumes for every position that possibly could come open. And I guarantee you, Nine times out of ten, he's going to upgrade when he makes a, 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 the next hire. And William, and uh, that's a great point. Uh, he's never going to lack for coaching talent. And I know, 
a guy we, we everyone thinks that Lane Kiffin is going to still move on at the end of the season and I even had uh one of my sources text me and tell me that Lane Kiffin might be a candidate to be the OC at Georgia as crazy as it's been but uh obviously uh there will be a change there and just got through hearing that Memphis now that you know they the Barry Odom situation fell apart they seem to be targeting a guy that I know you were very interested in that Alabama might talk with, and that's Dan Enos of Arkansas. Yeah, man. I mean, that guy is a offensive guru. Um, you know, go, go back. And I think, you know, let, let's, let's put this in play right now. I think it's a lot more important if, if Lane does, you know, leave, which I think right now we can all probably agree that it's expected that he does. Um, and, you know, the biggest gift that Lane Kiffin has brought to the University of Alabama is he changed the whole atmosphere and culture of evaluating high school quarterback prospects. You know, he was instrumental in getting Blake Barnett. Uh, he was instrumental in getting Jalen Hurts. And, you know, if you look at both of those guys as quarterbacks, um, they're both dual-threat guys. Um, you know, we could probably – come up with a pretty good argument about which one's got the better arm talent, which one's got the better leg talent. But at the end of the day, I think who Nick brings in is the next OC. If, in fact, Lane Kiffin, you know, has to go elsewhere. It's going to be a lot more important that he brings in somebody that's a proven developer of quarterbacks that might be a little bit more of a liability as a play caller as an OC. Now, that being said, to me, Dan Enos is the, you know, head and shoulders choice of who Nick could possibly go get. Um, You know, look at the improvement that Brandon Allen has had since last year to this year. Um, When you watch Arkansas play football offensively, um, you know, he, he can go two tight ends and pound you with the biggest offensive line in college football and then he can spread Hunter Henry out as a wide receiver and go five wide and and go hurry up and go spread with you. I think the guy's the best play caller and and probably the best developer of a QB that I've seen this year in college football. But, you know, there's other guys out there, um, you know, that could could come in and, you know, does he go the route of, uh, you know, what Bob Stoops has done at Oklahoma with with, uh, – is it Lincoln Kennedy, Lincoln Riley? The the, um, the name escapes me. You know that that's what South Carolina is doing right now. They're trying to decide whether or not you know they hired the 32 year old offensive coordinator from Oklahoma versus Will Muschamp. You know, if it's me, that's a no brainer. Uh, whether he's 32 or 42, you know, Will Muschamp failed at one of the top five jobs in college football. If you want to hire that guy as your head coach. Uh, so be it. But I think just, you know, with the with the quarterbacks that we've got, uh, you know, Blake Barnett and Jalen Hurts being the two most talented, um, you know, if Lane does, you know, have to go and take another job, I think the, the, the focus should be shifted to the offensive coordinator spot, not the D.C. spot, because that's going to be the, the next evolution. Um, you know, in Alabama football, because both Blake and Jalen Hurts are are people that can, you know, hurt you with your legs, with their legs, 
and their arms. And uh, that's the thing that intrigues me the most. Well, and William, it is Lincoln Riley. Uh, who, Lincoln uh, you're Riley, right. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's it. I was just going to let you know that's the one Oklahoma from Oklahoma who was from East Carolina who South Carolina is trying to talk to. It seems like I don't think Will Muschamp's going to get the South Carolina job, but I, I guess with all this intertwined, if Jeremy Pruitt does come back to Alabama, and I was and I did here tonight, that it was a very good chance that would happen. Uh, do you think Will Muschamp will stay at Auburn, or do you think he would try to go with Kirby Smart to Georgia? Well, Drew, I think if you look at it from a job security standpoint, you know, if Pat yes. Dye and the powers to be at Auburn are not willing to give Muschamp some assurances. I mean, let, let's be honest, and this is not me hating on Auburn, but, you know, right. Gus Malzahn is a dead man walking right now. Um, you know, there, there's a really good chance. I'll tell you this right now. They're going to get beat by Clemson, and they're going to get beat by LSU next September. Um, the only other SEC game that they've got in the month of September is against Texas A&M. And the only reason I'm not going to say that he's, you know, one in three uh, coming out of September is because, you know, Texas A&M's probably a bigger mess right now than LSU is. Um, I, I just don't know about that. But if you look at things from Will Muschamp's standpoint, in, in every – college football coach, you know, whether it's Dabo Sweeney, um, Kirby Smart, Jeremy Pruitt, you know, whoever it is, there is always a strong pull um, to go back to your alma mater and have a chance to make an impact there. Um, You know, Gus Malzahn is is a dead man walking right now as a head coach at at Auburn. And if the powers to be – don't want to give Will Muschamp some assurances that he's the next guy up when they get rid of Gus next year, which I fully expect that to happen, then, you know, Gus Mal- I mean, uh, Will Muschamp has a much better chance of surviving as a D.C. working for Kirby Smart at Georgia. He's probably going to have a five-year window um, if you look at that program's history of giving people time, um, you know, than he would at Auburn. Um you know, they they both come out of that same system. They work together at LSU for numerous years. They're, you know, off off the uh, the grid. They're best friends. Um, you know, I could certainly see that happen. Um, you know, and, and again, you know, the, the South Carolina thing, um, you know, with Muschamp is certainly in play. Um, and again, that that's one of the reasons why I say. Um, it's great to be an Alabama fan right now because, you know, Nick Saban is looking at replacing a defensive coordinator and maybe a strength coach. But w- what would happen to the Auburn program from a uh, on-the-field standpoint and much more so a recruiting standpoint? Let's let's not forget, um, you know, who brought all that talent in on the defensive side of the football last February on National Signing Day. You know, Will Muschamp is the one that brought in Byron Coward, you know, Jeffrey Holland, and the best player that I saw on on Auburn's defense this year by far at any position in the true freshman cornerback, Carlton Davis. I mean, he's Minka Fitzpatrick, Marlon Humphrey good. So, 
let, let's just take a step back from the ledge as Alabama fans for a minute. And, you know, you lose your defensive coordinator. You lose your strength coach. Listen, Nick Saban's going to make another hire at whatever vacancies um, come up that's going to be equal to, if not better than, the ones that are leaving. In regard to Scott Cochran, if he if he chooses to leave with Kirby, and I know they're good friends and their wives are good friends and all that, so he may go with him. If he does, uh, it's been brought to my attention that his top assistant uh, has also trained under Coach Moffitt at LSU and also been the strength and conditioning guy at Florida under Muschamp. Uh, so is, isn't it just kind of logical that Saban would just promote Jeff Dillman? Well, Kerry, I mean, you, you may have just educated me on something that I didn't know about. I did not realize that, that Dillman trained under Moffitt. Now, I will tell you this. Um, he was Will Muschamp's strength coach in Florida, and I was not very impressed with his body of work down there. A lot of injuries. Um, you know, and that might be more of a conviction against Will Muschamp as a head coach versus Jeff Dillman as a strength coach. Um you know, you know. Again, you know, people ask me all the time why I'm so anti Scott Cochran. You know, the, the 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 three top strength and conditioning coaches in the country in college football are Tommy Moffitt, uh, the Doyle guy at Iowa, and Shannon Turley at Stanford. Scott Cochran's not even in the goddamn conversation. So, that being said, I'm not a Dillman fan. You said he's the next guy up. Um, it would not surprise me if, if, you know, he's the next choice. That being said, um, you know, go do a little bit of due diligence about the injuries and the lack of uh, performance as players that went on, uh, you know, with Dillman when he was at Florida. Um, you know, I would rather see Nick go out of the box. Um, if he couldn't lure Tommy Moffitt, obviously, you know, Doyle's been at uh, Iowa for, I think, 16 or 19 years. Um, you know, probably my, my Shannon Turley deal with Stanford's a pipe dream because Jim Harbaugh couldn't get him to follow him to Michigan. But uh, it's it's not a huge issue. When you've got a head coach like Nick Saban that demands excellence in that department from his program, uh, you know, feeding people good calories and making them lift heavy objects isn't rocket science. Um, it's just not, you know, only at the University of Alabama could somebody like Scott Cochran be turned into a cult hero by the fan base. You know, he wasn't even Nick Saban's first choice when Nick came to Alabama in 2007. He was working for the New Orleans NBA team. You know, Tommy Moffat was Nick Saban's first choice, and he got turned down. I, I just don't, you know, buy into it. You know, my my players that I talk to as sources down there, um, you know, have consistently told me over the, the last few years, uh, you know, when they go to the NFL Combine, you know, they get grilled about their medical jackets being the size of the Atlanta Yellow Pages. Uh, and none of them ever test out the top 10% of, of their position group. So you're talking to somebody that does not really care whether or not Scott Cochran stays or goes. And that's a good point, William. I, I'm, I'm, I think Scott Cochran's done a great job, but I'm not worried about that. I mean, 
Ken Manny is still in place where Coach Saban put him there in 1995, Michigan State. As you said, Tommy Moffitt, who Coach Saban tried to hire at Alabama, is still at LSU. And there will be another good strength coach at the University of Alabama. Uh, they, it's all about the program he's built. They have the best weight facilities at Alabama, any in the country. And uh, that, that's just that, that's, going, that's not going to be an issue at all. And I, I guess I wanted to ask you also for, to uh, talk, tell the listeners, what I know I've got been asked this a bunch today, and I don't think it's going to be a huge impact, but what kind of impact on the recruiting front do you think losing Kirby Smart is going to have? You know, about the same that, that you know, when all the Alabama fans got sideways with Jeremy Pruitt when he left and went to FSU, um, you know, that they all got sideways with him when, uh, you know, he took Demarcus Walker with him, um, you know, the All-American defensive end at Florida State. Um, Kirby's going to take, you know, probably, you know, one, two or three players, um, with him over there to Georgia. Um, you know, that's just part of the business. Um, you know, I had a great relationship with Adam Geis, DeMarcus Walker's high school coach, DeMarcus Walker's mother, Barbara. And, you know, they told me throughout the whole recruiting process, um, you know, we're, we're, we're not Alabama people. We're Jeremy Pruitt people. Um, and I'm sure there's Kirby Smart people out there um, that are parents and recruits. Um, but there's probably going to be, you know, one, two, or three kids that, that, you know, jump ship and go with Kirby to Georgia. That's just part of the business. Um, that doesn't concern me at all. Um, it's going to happen. You know, it, unfortunately, you know, every high school recruit, every friend of mine that's had a, um, a, a prospect that has a chance to play SEC football, I tell them all the same thing. You know, don't commit to a coach. You commit to a university and, and where your son feels the most comfortable, not just with where they want to play football, but, you know, if football ends tomorrow, where they're going to be the most comfortable as a regular, normal student on campus. And, uh, you know, that that was one of the things that, that sold me on Alabama. You know, when I was being recruited, a lot of people, uh, you know, negatively recruited me, um, you know, against Bill Curry. And, and I was told, and it, it turned out to be true, uh, come to Alabama, Bill Curry won't last, you know, the the, 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 the season of 1989. Um, they, they were right. Um, and I went to, you know, the school that, that I felt the most comfortable with. So, and it's a much bigger business. It's a much bigger dynamic now than it was, you know, 25 years ago. Um, but, you know, I just don't think any fan base should get upset about what a, an 18-year-old kid decides to do, you know. Uh, you know, what if Ben Davis decides to, you know, sign up and go play for less miles and, and – uh, Kevin Steele, for God's sakes, at LSU. You know, it might happen. I'm not saying it is. And I'm not saying that would be the best decision. Um, you know, but it could happen. Um, you know, what's Marlon Davidson going to do? Does he have that his brother is still going to be employed this time next year at Auburn if he chooses to go there? And that's where, you know, I expect that five-star defensive end to end up. Yeah, and, and Mac Wilson. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, again, you know, so many people get so caught up into, 
you know, what these kids are doing and what they're saying on social media. Um, you know, it, it's, it's a drama-filled soap opera. Um, and, you know, everybody wants to, you know, create suspense and drama and where they're going to go. Uh, but, you know, at the end of the day, uh, you know, Nick Saban spends more money than anybody to make the most informed decisions about these kids as he recruits them, as he gets to know them. Uh, you know, I never will forget having a conversation with Jeremy Pruitt. Um, this was during uh, the, the Mark Barron, Julio Jones recruiting class. And, you know, one of Jeremy's responsibilities was, um, you know, when Nick would get off the jet and, and, you know, somebody was picking him up at the airport and they were taking him to go see, you know, B.J. Scott, Julio Jones, uh, Mark Barron, whoever you want to, you know, put a plug in there. Um, you know, he wanted to know as he pulled up in the player's driveway um, if they had broken up with their girlfriend, uh, who their favorite music artist was, and what color plastic worm they were bass fishing with. Um, that that attention to detail is what made Nick as successful as he's been, you know, during his tenure at Alabama. I mean, he's you know, look at it this way, and I understand, you know, I'm not a, an older guy, that, and I certainly didn't grow up a, a Bear Bryant disciple, um, and I understand there's a lot more ball games played today than there was, you know, back in the 60s and 70s. Uh, but, you know, Nick Saban is going on eight years now where he's had 10 win seasons, actually averaged 12 wins a year during those seasons. You know, the longest 10-win streak that Bear Bryant had was five years. Um, I just don't think people actually appreciate what this guy has done, you know, during the BCS and playoff era, uh, you know, during the most competitive era of college football. I mean, it's ridiculous what this guy's done. And I think if you just sit back and relax and take, take a deep breath, you're going to see that greatness continue for six, seven, eight more years. Yeah, and that would be great for the University of Alabama, no doubt, William. But we appreciate the time you gave us tonight, man. You've been on with us about 45 minutes, and we always appreciate the inside. We know your phone is going to be blowing up the next several weeks uh, with these coaching situations uh, at Alabama and, of course, recruiting to hit the home stretch after hopefully uh, Alabama can uh, can have a chance to – uh, win an SEC title and uh, advance to the college football playoff. But first, they got to get past, of course, Jim McElwain, uh, who's uh, still beloved by the Alabama fan base, and the Florida Gators. And I thought it was very interesting uh, that Coach McElwain still has one of his siblings working for Coach Saban. But uh, we were going to talk about the Gators here in a second with Thomas Goldcamp of uh, Gator Bait 24-7. But William, we really appreciate the time, man. Have a great evening, and thank you for joining BAMS again. Great stuff. Hey, thank you, guys. I enjoyed it. Appreciate it. And uh, now we are going to go back uh, to the to our hotline, and uh, we are honored. He's a first-time guest. He's been on my radio program, Talking Ball in Huntsville, Alabama. But it'll be, this will be his first time uh, coming on with us uh, for uh, here at BAMS Radio. And we know he's uh, on top of it for uh, 24-7 sports as he works for GatorBait.net, and that's Thomas Goldcamp. Thomas, how are you doing tonight? Pretty good. How are you guys? Doing well, man, and I know it's late there. Uh, we, we, I think everyone's known since about mid-season this, that there was a very good chance 
this matchup was going to go down. I mean, Alabama needed a little help uh, with uh, the Ole Miss Rebels. They got it from Arkansas, but Florida, uh, you know, once they were able to get by uh, the Tennessee Volunteers in one of the great games of the year and then to take care of the Georgia Bulldogs, many uh, knew that, that Florida was going to uh, advance to Atlanta. But I know going into the season, most thought Coach McElwain uh, he would be doing well to go 8-4. and four. That's what I predicted. I thought they would – be the surprise team in the East, but at an eight and four record, never did I dream they would go ten and two and and be in the SEC championship game. But I, that's why I think Coach McElwain should be the SEC coach of the year. But uh, I mean, as someone that's been close to that program, have you even been surprised at what Coach McElwain has been able to accomplish? Oh yeah, there's no question. I mean, you said eight and four. I had them at seven and five going into the year. Um, you know, and I was I was probably a little bit higher on them than some even. Uh, you know, I think Florida was picked by the media to finish fifth in the SEC East. I had them at third, but, uh, you know, expected kind of a tough year from them just with some of the personnel holes that they have on the roster. Uh, certainly did not envision a trip to Atlanta. Um, and, and, you know, it hasn't always been pretty for Florida, but I think the fact that, you know, McElwain has been able to get as much out of this roster that he has, um, it, it really is a testament to his coaching ability and the, the kind of coaching staff that he's put together here at Florida. Hey, Thomas, this is Kerry Clark with BamaMag.com. Also, want to welcome you to the program and ask you a quick question about this week's game against Alabama. The Tide has one of the better, if not the best, front sevens on their defense in college football. Uh, that being said, what do you feel uh, are the keys for the Florida offense this week as they try to move the ball on Bama's defense? Well, I think, you know, I think that's a tricky question. Uh, if Florida continues to play the way that they have uh, from a scheme standpoint and doesn't try to throw a whole lot of wrinkles in there against Alabama, really it's as simple as Treon Harris starting to hit some open receivers. Um, because, quite frankly, Florida's offensive line, while it hasn't been great this year, uh, has certainly been good enough uh, for the offense to be more productive than it has. And the reason it hasn't is because, you know, Treon Harris, for whatever reason, it's a tight, uh, lack of confidence at this point. He uh, has just not been able to hit open receivers. Um, and it's really been an issue for Florida and really kind of hamstrung the offense. Um, now, I would say that, you know, I, I think now that Florida is at the point where they don't have any games on the schedule past this, I think you can probably open up some more things in the offense. You can allow Treon Harris to run a little bit more, take some hits. You know, they were worried about that before because they didn't have any backups. Um, but but the bottom line is Florida's got to start executing better. I mean, the plays are there, and they're just not making them, plain and simple. Thomas, I wanted to ask you, because I know it was the big thing talked about today. Going into the season, uh, Florida, uh, was everyone knew offensively. Uh, the offensive line was uh, going to be a work in progress. Took some fifth-year transfers, and, of course, Martez they had they had you know two to three NFL departures and uh, they were going to be rebuilding uh, their offensive line. No question about that. Uh, it's been a work in progress till this. And now they've some injuries uh, going forward, and of course it all starts up front to give Florida a chance on Saturday. What kind of shape is the Florida offensive line in and now that they and, and you know they're gonna have, they're gonna face their biggest challenge of the year uh, against this Crimson Tide front. Yeah, you know, physically, I think they're doing all right. Um, you know, Jim McElwain's a little bit uh, interesting with his injury reports, I would say. Um, you know, saying that uh, left tackle David Sharp may have gotten a little bit banged up today. Um, but we've heard that before, and, you know, he's played 
uh, pretty much every game they've said that. So, you know, I think physically they're in pretty good shape. Um, I think the one thing when you look at Florida, um, and we knew this was going to be the case coming into the year, they're just so young that physically they're not quite as developed as some of the other teams you see in the SEC. You know, when you're starting at times three true freshmen on the same offensive line, um, you're not going to be able to generate the kind of movement off the ball that you see a team like Alabama do, you know, that you see an LSU or a Georgia do where they're really able to run the ball. Um, And so that's kind of been Florida's issue throughout the year. They're not creating a whole lot of lanes in the run game. Um, They actually have surprisingly been pretty sound pass protecting at times, um, which Mike Summers, I think the offensive line coach, has done a really good job. But, but the bottom line is it's a young unit, um, you know, going up against a, an Alabama front seven that's probably the best in the country. You know, they're really going to have their hands full just trying to give Treon Harris enough time to make things happen back there. Hey, uh, and, and Thomas, my, my apologies. Uh, I wanted to ask you, about the situation today with DeMarcus, uh, he he came into this season uh, as as uh, I thought their weapon offensively along with Kessler, but he's had his maturity issues his career. I know he's been demoted a couple of times, and I know Coach McElwain said that uh, the seniors voted to reinstate him because he did not play against Florida State, but. Uh, what, what are you hearing uh, behind the scenes? Is there? Well, do, do you think he'll uh, play against Alabama, but likely not start? Or how do you see that situation being handled? Yeah, you know, I think he'll play. Um, I don't think there's any reason to reinstate him if he wasn't going to play. Um, you know, that said, Jim McElwain wasn't very clear. Um, you know, I asked him point blank as a follow-up, you know, is he going to play against Alabama? And he kind of dodged around the question a little bit. So, you know, there may be some, uh, some more um, – you know, discipline type stuff that he's going to have to face. You know, and he may sit out a quarter, may sit out a half, who knows. Um, But, you know, he will play, um, and Florida, you know, obviously will need him uh, going into that game. Thomas, I wanted to ask you uh, what you, if anything, you can remember about a assistant there under Muschamp because he may end up being possibly – the next head strength coach at Alabama. What, if anything, do you remember about the tenure of Jeff Dillman? Yeah, you know, I've always, uh, you know, really liked Jeff. I think he's a very, very personable guy, and, you know, certainly the players felt that way about him. Uh, really was able to connect to them and, and uh, kind of energize things. You know, he's a, he's always a guy that, uh, you know, you can hear as soon as you walk in the building, uh, revving guys up. Um, and I think, you know, from a strength perspective, He's a guy that really employs that, you know, Tommy Moffat kind of style um, of the Olympic lifting that's really built for power and explosion um, and, and kind of, you know, some of that stuff that really helps you in the trenches. Um, you know, he, he's, he's, I would say, a fantastic guy, and, you know, players really, really relate to him very well. And, uh, and Thomas, also, uh, I wanted to ask you about uh, Jeff Collins, who, is he also worked a year for Nick Saban, and, and there's a lot of Saban ties to this Gator staff. But I, I really feel like it's been a seamless transition uh, with him coming in from Mississippi State to coordinate the Gator defense. And that's why uh, I think this is going to be a very physical football game on Saturday afternoon at 3 o'clock in the Georgia Dome. I, I don't think, you know, I've got Alabama winning this game comfortably 31 to 10, but I don't think it'll be put away still until. Earlier, I think this defense is uh, everybody 
unit. I know they they stood on their head. You to use a hockey term for quite a state game, uh, but just couldn't get anything offensive. But second best unit in the SEC. I know they had a little trouble against Leonard Fournette and Dalvin Cook finally get his yards. But how do you see this front uh, seven matching up against someone like Derrick Henry, who is a uh, coming off such a uh, outstanding performance against Auburn. Yeah, you know, I think uh, you know, I think Florida's in pretty good shape there. Um, you know, Florida like Alabama is a team that really likes to roll through a lot of defensive linemen up front. Um and so all of the guys on that second string unit have been playing quality football, getting a lot of meaningful reps throughout the year. And so really you're seeing a unit that's fresh, you know, for most of the game. Um, you know, especially going into the fourth quarter, and that's really been huge for Florida. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of individual talent. You know, they play very, very good gap sound football, a very disciplined unit. Tackling has really not been an issue at all for Florida in the second half of the year, uh, which was kind of their Achilles heel early on. Um, it, it's going to be a good matchup. I don't think that Derrick Henry is going to find the going all that easy, especially early on. Um, but like you said, you know, the Dalvin Cook was able to get his yards late and, and really – the way the Florida offense is playing, um, you know, they can kind of sap some confidence from that defense, you know, if Alabama's able to shut them out, you know, the way some other teams have down the stretch here. Uh, Thomas, not trying to be coy, just, just asking a question here, but where where exactly does the place kicking situation stand? And is the dental student, uh, is his career in Army? You know, <laughs> that's a really good question. Um, you know, it does not seem like they're really all that willing to go to the guy that they brought in through the tryout, the dental student. Um, you know, at this point, if they're still sticking with Austin Harden, it's hard for me to envision them pulling the plug on him. Um, but certainly you look at, you know, they look at the numbers and what Florida's done this year. They obviously don't feel comfortable kicking the ball from just about anywhere. And so I would expect to see, you know, a lot of Florida going forward on fourth down if they can get into Alabama territory. Um, kind of taking their chances and gambling, you know, that you can hit a play or two here on offense. And then uh, the one thing that I that I believe is uh, obviously Tron Harris Thomas is is has struggled some this year, uh, but he does uh, have you know excellent ability. And as you said, he just needs to One thing I know is that Jim McElwain knows very well his defensive scheme. I know it's talked about people state team to Tuscaloosa, and uh, I believe it was in 2013, and uh, in an early in the, in the home opener, and that game was 31 to six. But Colorado State was able to you know move the football and compete well in that game. So I think that's one reason why I think that it's going to be a tough battle uh, with the Gators uh, staying in it. Uh, but I guess the uh, the question is. What do you think uh, that Florida needs to do uh, as far as uh, def- offensively, defensively? And, of course, they have to be sound in the kicking game, and the kick, the place kicking situation has been very, very shaky. But what ultimately does Florida need to do to, to ha- have a chance in the fourth quarter against the Tide? Well, you know, to have a chance in the fourth quarter, what they've got to do is be more productive early in games. Um, because, really, if you look at Florida for the first half of the season, um, you know, even with Will Greer at quarterback, they were not necessarily a prolific offense, uh, nothing of the sort. But, you know, they were able to continue some drives early in games and sustain those, you know, putting up a touchdown drive or two here in the first half to where suddenly your defense feels like they're playing for something. And lately, Florida has been so inept on offense 
that the defense has really kind of been hurt by the fact that, you know, they're really starting to question whether or not they're even in the game. Um, and so that's the biggest thing that Florida has to avoid in this. They have to get out to a good start early. They can't have a bunch of negative plays on offense. They can't have turnovers. You can't allow Alabama to take over the game from the start because this Florida team is not equipped to play from behind. If Alabama gets up early in the first half, it's probably going to be a blowout because Florida is just not capable of handling that right now. Um, so really, for Florida, it's about you know trying to draw up whatever you can early on, throw some wrinkles at Alabama, and try to put some points on the board early to generate some confidence and some momentum. Last question for me, Thomas. Uh, obviously, the situation is, is one that, that presents playing time. That being said, after having hosted him this past weekend, how do the Gators feel about where they stand with Bama place-kicking commitment, Eddie Pinero? You know, I think I think pretty good. Um, you know, you listen to Jim McElwain's comments. He actually was asked about, um, you know, not, not Pinero in particular after the game Saturday. Um, but quite frankly, you know, was asked basically, what are you going to do with the kicking situation? And, um, you know, he didn't have any answers for this year. Um, like I said, I think that they're, you know, they've kind of tried everything they can to jumpstart that kicking game, and it's not working. But, but McElwain was very clear. He said, we're going to land a good kicker. Um, and, you know, obviously this weekend hosting Panero, uh, you know, McElwain was kind of personally escorting him around town. and Certainly he seemed to have a good time. So I, I think that will be a real interesting recruitment to keep an eye on uh, as things kind of unfold here in the next couple of weeks. And then we've seen Thomas uh, – we, we all know how good Coach McElwain is at the quarterback. He did a great job with Greg McElroy and then with A.J. McCarron I thought Will Greer was really improving in Oakland until suspension. Uh, recently, they did flip Felipe Franks uh, from uh, the uh, LSU Tigers to the Florida Gators. And now they seem to be getting involved with Jacob Eason, who's the number one quarterback in the country from the state of Washington, who is uh, going to be at Florida. What seems to be the vibe? Do they think, obviously, with Franks, you would think that they might only take one big time quarterback, but I think obviously that uh, Coach Moore especially offensively, that they did town upgrade a lot of positions. Yeah, no, there's no question. Florida, you know, not just quarterback, but a lot of positions, you said it, they got to upgrade the talent. Uh, and I think when you look at Will Greer's situation with him not being able to play for the first six games next year, uh, really Florida's kind of in a bind there um, because it's very clear at this point that Treon Harris can't play, you know, quarterback at this Division One level long term, uh, or at least in the SEC, you know. Uh, that competition level. Um, so, really, Florida next year is looking at going into the year with Luke Del Rio, uh, you know, who was at Alabama back in 2013, transferred to Oregon State, and that's it. It's whoever else they bring in as freshmen that are going to compete with him for the job. Um, so, you know, they've got Franks on board. Uh, they have another commitment from a two-star prospect who's a, a, actually a backup for his high school team. Um, but certainly Florida would love to add another guy to that mix, whether it's uh, – you know, Jacob Eason, like you said, the five-star prospect, they're actually officially uh, hosting on campus right now, or whether it's, uh, you know, Dwayne Haskins uh, from up in the Maryland area. But but bottom line is Florida has immediate playing time. I mean, they can sell, you know, to any quarterback that's looking at them that, hey, you're going to have a chance to compete for the starting job from day one. And, and that's not just idle talk. I mean, they're really hurting at that position. Uh, so obviously a huge priority for Jim McElroy and We'll kind of see how he can shore it up in recruiting coming here into signing day. And, uh, Thomas, finally for me, my last question, uh, 
what, 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 you know, you're getting a feel as the week goes on uh, from the coaching staff and from hearing from practice and buzz. Uh, obviously, the Gators are a significant underdog. How do you see the game going on Saturday? You know, I, I don't think Florida's there yet, frankly. Um, and, and I don't really know that talking to fans around here and getting the general vibe around Gainesville that anybody is really going into Atlanta expecting to win. Um, you know, certainly the players won't say that. The coaches won't say that. Um, but, you know, Florida is just too limited offensively to beat a team that's as balanced and as talented as Alabama. Um, so, you know, defensively, Florida, I think, will hang around in the game for quite a while. Um, you know, they're too good not to. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, when you can't move the ball on offense, you know, you have problems. And, and Alabama's defense is too good to allow a Florida team that has this many holes uh, to win a game of that magnitude. Yeah, I, I tend to agree, but I do think that there's no question uh, at this point going forward that Florida is going to be a force, especially with the, the shape of the Eastern Division. Florida may be about ready to uh, ascend to the top, though it's going to be interesting to see what Kirby Smart can do at Georgia as well. Uh, but, Thomas, we really appreciate the time, man, and uh, the, about the 20 minutes or so you've given us tonight. It's been very informative and uh, great stuff, and I'm sure our listeners really enjoyed it. And uh, We thank you, man. I look forward to talking with you again soon. Thanks for joining us on BAMS Radio tonight. Absolutely, guys. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. That's Thomas Goldcamp, everybody, from Gators 247. He's been uh, he's been covering the Gators, been in Gainesville since 2007, and uh, you know, and I believe he's been with 247 Sports since 2010. So he does a great job covering the Florida Gators, especially football and recruiting. Go ahead and bring in a caller now before we have our next guest on. Uh, we've got about four or five minutes to spend with one of our longtime loyal listeners and callers. Uh, welcome to Bama's Radio again. Bring the pain from the 256. What's up, guys? How you doing, Can you buddy? hear me? Yes, sir. Welcome to Bama's Radio. What do you, what's on your mind tonight? Hey, I just got a couple of questions, and I'll let y'all go. First, uh, Kirby Smart going to Georgia. I'm proud of him. I'm glad he's got the job and stuff. But you think they came out too early to announce it, knowing that we've got the championship game coming up and the two playoff games we got going on? And uh, well, my second one. Okay. Okay. The Atlanta so, announced he, it. Alabama he, didn't announce it. He, bring the Pains talking about Georgia announced it too early. And, yes, they did. Uh, they, they Right now there's a lot of problems over there. Uh, they are, they did it for the simple fact they were getting nervous because they were taking a lot of heat uh, for the way they botched Mark Richt. And, uh, you know, the, the, the Mark Richt situation as far as firing him uh, with, the, with his overall record going 9-3, and three, and plus it was affecting recruiting. Uh, did was Mark Rick stale? Yes, uh, but again, you know I think that, that, that basically uh, that they didn't really have, they didn't handle it exactly the way they should have, and 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 you can just tell there's a fracture there. There's there's a there's a vacuum. That I think uh, to be honest, I think more Georgia fans wanted Greg McGarity, the athletic director, fired than even Mark Rick. Uh, and so that is just the way they've handled this deal. I know for a fact. I found out tonight. Kirby Smart wife did not even know that he had gotten the job. She heard on the news before Kirby told her. Oh, oh okay. My second question is 
since Scott uh, Horace Scott Cochran was leaving. If he is in our next uh, strength and conditioning coach, mm-hmm. will he ever be the same as Scott Cochran? Scott, because Scott, he's the one that brings a stadium alive. Just by the well, way his antics and stuff is. Well, he he's done a great job. There's no doubt, bringing the fame that Scott Cochran has been a jolt of energy and done a good job for nine years at Alabama. But I mean, they, they, they're still going to be another great strength coach at the University of Alabama. They have the best weight room in the country, the best weight facilities. He may have a little bit of a different style, but the results will be the same because it's all about the head coach and what he does. Uh, whether it be Jeff Dillman, uh, whether it be Mark Hockey, who is really already in place in Georgia, and I did hear tonight that uh, that it's not a, it's not totally been decided that that you know people still think Scott Cochran could stay at Alabama. Uh, do I think he will in the end? Probably not, but I don't think it's a it's a uh, lock because he needs one more year uh, to get uh, state retirement in the state in the in the university system. Uh, he's been there nine years; would be there ten. So we will see. But regardless, he'll probably he's going to leave at some point. And again, as long, it goes back to what William Barger said on the show earlier. If you have Nick Saban in the office, everything will be okay. I mean, uh, you know, I, I would think it'd be a good chance Jeff Dillman, who was brought over from Florida uh, to replace Hockey, would be bumped up. Uh, and he's a Tommy Moffat protege. Uh, as William said, he, William wasn't as enamored with some of his work with some of the Florida kids, but I think that also comes from having a head coach who, quite frankly, was in over his head and Will Muschamp, and I'll make a prediction. I don't think Will Muschamp is going to South Carolina, but if he goes to South Carolina, that program is going down into the crapper and will be down at the bottom of the SEC East, probably along with Missouri and Vanderbilt, if Missouri botches the successor to uh, to, to Gary Pinkle. All right, guys, one more thing. I don't know if y'all heard or not, but Mark Rich is fixing to be announced as the head coach at the Miami Hurricanes. We have heard that, and uh, actually going to be making a little bit more money than he's making at Georgia, and he's moving to a state where there's no Perfect state fit. income tax. He's going back to his alma mater. Uh, Perfect fit for what the University of Miami wants. Not a perfect fit fit for the Thug alumni, but they'll get over it. Uh, If they'll let him run the program the way he wants to run it, he'll win there. He'll do just fine. I'm not saying he'll win a national championship, but he'll he'll get them into decent bowls from time to time, and that's about all they can expect with their lack of commitment to football at this time. So uh, I like the fact that they brought in Mark Rick. They still have piss poor facilities. They still have to take an hour bus ride to their to their home games. Uh, you know, it's it's not the plum job it once was, but Mark will, Mark will do fine. He'll get the players graduating. I think he'll unify the alumni. Uh, you know, even one of the rappers was tweeting yesterday. Luther was tweeting, you know, tweeting yesterday how bad he wanted him to sign Mark Rick. Well, they got him. So let's see what happens. I'm happy for Mark. Uh, but boy, this is uh, definitely one of the craziest coaching situations all over the country that I've ever seen. Okay, hey, one more thing. Do I have time to give you all my picks for this weekend? We don't want to pick on but one game. Go ahead, so bring the and let us know. Championship. All right. I predict North Carolina beating Clemson, Iowa beating 
Michigan State, Stanford beating USC, and of course us beating Florida. Nice job, bring the pain. Uh, that, that, that we would have the playoff pretty much set if that were to happen, and if that happens, I mean uh, it should be a heck of a Final Four. Yeah. But anyway, guys, y'all have a wonderful night and a great holiday. If I don't get to talk to y'all again, I've been having pretty much bad health problems here lately. But uh, I'll try to call in some more. But if I don't, y'all have a wonderful holiday. You too, bring the pain. Have a great holiday season, you and your family. We sure appreciate uh, you calling uh, BAMS Radio tonight. We always appreciate you listening, and God bless you, and hope uh, your health improves, man. Have a great night. Thank you so much, Brain the Pain, and you do have a great Christmas, so we hope you feel better, and thank you for holding on and, and waiting for a chance to, to talk to us. Always good to hear from you. Another guy that it's always good to hear from is my good friend and, and longtime co-worker at BamaMag.com, the publisher of that website, and the man that founded that magazine back in 79. Uh, also was the right-hand man that's a media relations employee, Coach Paul Bryant, back in the 70s. Your friend and mine and a friend of BAM's radio. Welcome on tonight, Mr. Kirk McNair. Well, how are you doing tonight? <laughs> I'm doing good, Kirk. I, I, I was uh, I, I was very impressed and uh, pleasantly surprised to uh, hear you ask a question at the Saban press conference tonight. That doesn't always happen, but I guess you're working on a feature on him. Tell us a little bit about how the question went and how the overall press conference went tonight with Coach Saban. Well, it was uh, about like we expected, I think. Uh, I expected, and I think everyone else did, that he would have something to say about Kirby Smart uh, that would not be saying anything and then would say he wouldn't take any more questions about it. So, uh, and I didn't ask a question about it. I had the last question of the night, and I asked him when he was a young assistant coach, uh, thinking about being a head coach, did he want to be a head coach in college or in the NFL, and did he have a dream job? And he gave a nice, long, uh, reminiscing kind of answer that uh, I thought was quite interesting. And, uh, you know, if I was uh, really an enterprising person right now, I'd be uh, <clears throat> printing T-shirts and sweatshirts and say in green and white saying, Nick loves us best because he said that his dream job had been Michigan State, which, of course, he had and left for LSU. And, Gurk, uh I know, uh, and I, I'm sure, obviously, you didn't ask the Coke bottle a question uh, about uh, about Kirby Smart, uh, but uh, I, I know uh, it, it was that I knew that that would be the tone of the press conference, uh, and I know that was Coach Saban's way of saying, you know, thank you for asking us about the game up against Florida. But obviously, everybody's been expecting Kirby Smart to eventually get an opportunity uh, to be a head football coach, and. Uh, he's he's worked for this. He's earned it. Uh, but your thoughts on him going to Georgia? It's still going to be a tough situation for him because it's a talent-laden area. But at the same time, uh, it, it, you've got Jim McElwain, who's I think going to build something uh, a, a really good, solid program at Florida. And then Bush Jones is going into a crucial year, but seems to be getting Tennessee back on track. Your thoughts on uh, Kirby Smart and what he could do for the Dogs? Well, I think he's a great hire. I think that 
they felt that uh, you know, and there's there's you can argue both sides of this about the Mark Rick era. Fifteen years, averaged about nine and a half wins a year, and yet didn't really beat many good teams. He uh, uh, to to the to in the thinking of many people is that uh, with with you know really having a big population state with a lot of athletes in it and not great in-state competition in Georgia Tech, uh, that he probably didn't do as much with what he had available with the assets there as uh, as he should have. And and I don't I think you can argue both sides of that. He's uh, by all accounts a very good person, and uh, and I think that uh, maybe his uh, welcome it was just you know thin and and. They were able to get Kirby Smart, one of their own, and that's important to a fan base, um, and uh, who is certainly coming from the right program. Uh, you know, you want to, you want, you can't get Nick Saban, so do the best, next best thing, get someone who's been with him a long time, understands how to build a program, or at least how to maintain one, and uh, and I think build one because he's done that. He's been on Saban's side doing that here, certainly. So. I think it's great for Kirby Smart, who I had always wondered if he was not uh, in a comfort zone. He always seemed reluctant to go after any other jobs, and to my way of thinking, that he would not get the Georgia job until he got some other job and proved he could be a head coach. But uh, that proved me wrong. (laughs) Georgia was willing to go ahead and let Kirby come in and be sort of an OJT uh, OTJ uh, kind of uh, coach. I don't think that's that's very good. To, at that level, I think you uh, probably should hire a head coach. But uh, all head coaches were once assistant coaches, and uh, it's just a matter of whether or not you think they can make that leap to that level at one time. Mark Rick had been an assistant coach and uh, came to Georgia and did well. And by the way, I'm I think that's a great fit off the subject, Mark Rick to Miami. Uh, I think that's great for both him and for uh, for the U. I think they'll be they'll be great together, and uh, not maybe the glory days of uh, long ago, but uh, a very respectable program, I believe. Kirk, I believe the reason that Georgia pulled the trigger on Kirby Smart so quickly, Carolina was about to do the same thing with Kirby Smart. And Georgia saw that uh, they might be missing out on an opportunity to really turn things around, and I think they just jumped on it when they had to. Uh, that being said, I, and I promise you we're going to get to this week's game in a minute, but I wanted to ask you uh, if you were a betting man, uh, what kind of odds would you put on the next big decision Nick Saban has to make regarding his staff? Would you think it would be Jeremy Pruitt, or would you think uh, that it would be Mel Tucker? Because we're hearing both but we're hearing more so on Pruitt at this hour. What what are you your thoughts? Well, my thought is that Nick Saban knows every coach in the country, or at least is within one or two degrees of separation, probably one at the most. And he knows lots and lots of people that can fill any position he has, and lots and lots of very fine coaches are, would be – quite anxious to have worked for Nick Saban at Alabama on their resume. So I think that uh, uh, he's hired a lot of coaches who I'd never heard of before, uh, including Mel Tucker. Uh, you know, I don't follow pro football. I'd never heard of him. 
but obviously he's a good coach and was a good hire. Uh, I've heard that he might be uh, interested in returning to the NFL. I've heard that he uh, might be the new defensive coordinator. Uh, I noticed we talked today on the board about if it's Jeremy Pruitt, would, would he be coaching linebackers, or what, what would they do there? And there, you know, obviously there's all sorts of options when you're talking like that. But uh, and I think you may or may not have noticed I put on the board that. I remember Coach Bryant saying that a good coach could coach anywhere, and uh, and certainly Kirby Smart, who we th- think of as a defensive backs coach, coached the linebackers this year. And and I thought that uh, I thought Reggie Ragland and and uh, Reuben Foster did pretty well under Kirby's coaching. Of course, they're pretty good players. That helps. But um, I have I guess I've rambled on for a while. And the bottom line is, I have no idea what Nick Saban might do, but I suspect that he's that he's got a plan for every contingency. And Kirk, obviously, uh, this game with Florida, Alabama's a prohibitive favorite. Everyone saw how Florida struggled with Florida. <laughs> There's no yeah. such thing as prohibitive. <laughs> yeah. But I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. They, they on paper. And, it, and it's sometimes dangerous that way because Jim McElwain knows uh, Coach Saban so well. And you remember he brought his Colorado State team to, in 2013 for the home opener and then did some good things and competed hard. And, and this defense is very, very talented for the Gators. And, and I know there'll be uh, – I think it'll be a stiff test for Derrick Henry, though we saw Leonard Fournette and LSU wear them down in red stick. What are your thoughts on the matchup with Florida? Yeah, I think you you kind of nailed it. Uh, I think the I think the question that everybody's waiting to see answered is, can Derrick Henry do it again? And uh, I don't have any doubt that he that he won't. I mean, he's just been so so impressive, overpowering everyone. Uh, you know, even when he has those, you know, he might have two or three or four plays in a row where where he doesn't really gain a lot of yardage, but. Uh, over the course of the game, uh, he will he will get the job done, and I think he'll do it. Although I I do agree with everyone else, this is probably the best defense that Alabama's faced this year. Uh, but I think that Henry will do it. And if he doesn't, I think uh, you know we have to be very appreciative of the improvement that uh, Jake Coker's made, and that the job that uh, Lane Kiffin overall I think is done. And and once again, matching the offense to the strengths of of, the, of his quarterback and other players too, of course. But uh, fitting in what Coker can do best, and and uh, making a, a very respectable offense this year. When you've got to remember, we didn't have many returning starters on this on this group. Uh, two, I believe, left tackle and center. So I think it's uh, been an, an admirable job. I think, and I think the offense. Well, uh, you know, I don't think they'll steamroll Florida's defense by any means, but I think they'll get the job done. On the other side, I think that uh, once upon a time, uh, in the not too long ago, Alabama had a tough, tough time with those quarterbacks who could scramble and get out of there. But uh, I think Alabama's gotten a lot better handle on that on that kind of offense from a de- defensive standpoint. So. I really do like Alabama to win the game, and I know that uh, Jim McElwain is a good coach, and, and you're right. That was a, a very competitive, considering the, the differences in athletes and, and 
overall assets. The, the Colorado State team of his did did show up and looked pretty good. So uh, there are a lot of things going. I know Florida's glad to be back to the SEC championship game, just as we at Alabama are. But I think that Alabama's probably uh, got a got a big head start on on Jim McElwain. Well, and Kirk, I wanted to follow up because I know you've seen a lot of great backs at the University of Alabama. We all saw Mark Ingram win the Heisman. We've seen Trent Richardson. Uh, we've seen Sean Alexander has such a special career. Uh, you know, and we've and uh, Nick Saban, with, of course, starting with Coffee, as we just as I just mentioned, uh, Mark Ingram and, and Trent Richardson, and, and really Eddie Lacy had so many special running backs. But Derrick Henry's a unique guy. I, you know, I never would have thought I'd see a back especially in this day of uh, wide-open football, carry 46 times in a game. But what job there against Austin, you got the feeling he could have continued to go. He's a marvel as far as what kind of shape he's in. But just talk about how good a back you think he is. And, and it's fair. Coach Saban can't, doesn't like to do that. He's, he's a unique guy. I remember watching him in high school. I think he would be a running back when I first saw him. You know, and I will invite our previous guest, William Barger, on the show that he would be like Cam is the running, and he's been correct on that. But just kind of talk about Derrick Henry, and it looks like if he can have a, a solid effort against Florida, he's going to win Alabama's second Heisman Trophy. Well, I think he's poised to do that. The uh, uh, You know, and it really started with the LSU game. Uh, where there was the head-to-head, so to speak, uh, although Fournette, uh, Leonard Fournette, uh, who was a very fine back too, was having to run against Alabama's defense, and uh, Derrick Henry was running against LSU's defense. I think that had a lot to do with it, but uh, Derrick had that 200-yard game, and Leonard Fournette had 31 yards, I believe it was, and from that point forward, I think, uh, Henry, both in the eyes of of the, the nation, but also I think that Henry uh, got a different little burst in himself, uh, confidence for what have you. That then uh, I think he's been a better back in the last half of the season than he was before, and I, and I thought he was terrific before uh, he got to LSU. So uh, he's had. Uh, you know, all these 200-yard games, he's within another, uh, I think, 203 yards of, of rushing for 2,000 yards this year. So, you know, that's uh, that's quite an amazing feat in this day of college football. And, of course, it was all in, or in any age. I mean, that's just uh, that's a tremendous thing to run uh, the possibility. I think the probability now is that he'll rush for 2,000 yards because he's got at least two games to go. But he may get it against Florida, which would be a pretty neat trick considering their defense. But you have to back to your original question, I guess, is, uh, you know, you just have to put him up there with, and I know times are different. You know, I go back to Musso or, uh, you know, people like that and a lot of great backs in the wishbone who didn't get near as many carries, of course, as, as Derrick Henry gets as the featured back here. And then uh, up through Sean Alexander, you mentioned, and uh, just on and on and on. And then this incredible run that Nick Saban has had with uh, 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 coffee and uh, uh, what Ingram and Richardson and Lacey and Yeldon and now uh, Henry. I mean, it's just uh, uh, 
may be the best. You know, I kind of have thought, you know, at the time I see them, I think they're the best, and then, uh, you know, another one comes along and seems to supersede. But uh, Henry certainly earned a place in Alabama football history and may earn a real place if uh, if things go as they're going now and he wins the Heisman Trophy. Kirk, speaking about people with place in Alabama football history, we got a guest caller within the within the guest. We can go ahead and bring him on now. Uh, a young man that's here to you, me, and Drew and Thomas and the entire Alabama nation. And I know he's got some questions for you too. Go ahead with Kirk McNair calling Big C McGuire. Hey, Kirk, Drew, and Terry, how y'all? Well, I'm great, Big C. Good to hear your voice. Nice. Great, Big C. How you doing, bud? Hey, Drew. Uh, We're doing good. Um, Well, you don't think any of this talk about him going to Georgia is any kind of distraction or not, do you, Kirk? Well, it wasn't a distraction for long in the in the press conference today. I'll say that <laughs> uh, Nick Saban put an end to that pretty quick. He said he wasn't in a position to confirm, which you know he wasn't in a position to deny. So uh, by by saying what he said, he pretty much confirmed what we all know anyway. So that that isn't anything. But I thought he made a good point to the to the players, and one that I agree with. He's uh, he told the players that. Uh, the coaches love them and want to do all they can for the players, and the players, uh, he thinks, uh, have this fondness for their coaches and want them to do as well as they can, and when they have an opportunity to be happy for them, and that uh, if they lose the coach at Alabama, they'll bring in the next best best coach to replace him. So uh, I think that uh, Saban has worked work the team pretty well to make sure that they they keep the focus on on the game at hand. Yep. Well, that's the main thing. Uh, uh, I, I didn't get to hear. I, I just came in on what you're saying. I got to believe Alabama. Uh, now, what did you say about the Florida game, the outcome? I know you say Alabama's going to win, but you think basically what they're going to do is play close to the vest and just pound it and pound it, and finally just the dam's going to break open on them, or what? Well, that's sort of Alabama's uh, forte, but, you know, I also think that uh, Jake Coker's a force to be reckoned with now, and, uh, you know, the receivers have come along. Uh, you know, our Darius Stewart, you might say he's sort of feast or famine, but, boy, when he's feast, he's really good. Uh, Richard Mullaney's been a big addition, and, and of course, Calvin Ridley's been outstanding. So uh, all of that, and then, you know, I think Kerry and I discussed this a little bit last week. We keep waiting for... Uh, you know, for our secret weapon, O.J. Howard, <laughs> uh, he, with all that's going on, you'd think that maybe he would he would be a, sort of a surprise for for an opposing defense if uh, we start to utilize that. So I know Alabama's spent a lot of time on Florida, and uh, and the coaching staff, uh, I'm sure, knows it inside and out, and they're working like the devil to get the team ready. I just think we've probably, uh, as I put it to Drew and Kerry before you got here, I think that Alabama's just got a head start on Florida. Florida's doing well under McElwain, but uh, a guy named Muschamp left them sort of a train wreck down there. Left them some players, but uh, there was a lot of work to be done, and I think that we're probably way ahead of them right now. I think you're right. Man. Um, Wouldn't you say that uh, one of the – you say that one of the 
good stories of the year, and we talk about this every week in the press box, is the vast improvement after starting 0 for 4 that, that Adam Griffith has made. Oh, my goodness, yes. Uh, Adam Griffith is a great weapon now, and, uh, you know, it's just uh last few games particularly, hitting those 50-yarders is, uh, you know, that's quite a weapon to have. And, uh, you know, we talk about hidden yardage. Boy, when you make the opponent start on the 25-yard line every time or be, or, be, or less, because a lot of times uh, they run them out, and, and that doesn't usually work either because uh, Alabama's coverage has been very good. But, but Griffith has been a, a great weapon for Alabama this year. Yeah, he did start off a little on the shaky side and then just turned to uh, – things have gone in the right direction for him. Right, those, first, those first few games, he looked like those students trying to win some books. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I like that. That's pretty good there. I hate to ask this question, but, I mean, the speculation with Smart going to Georgia that Cochran's going to follow him on. Uh, do you have any idea who that's going Because I think that's one of the best things about this thing is the strength and condition. Uh, oh, yeah, I, I agree with you. Yeah, I don't know about the Cochran thing yet. I've heard that ever since, uh, you know, I started hearing that mid-season that if that if Kirby ever got the Georgia job, he'd take Cochran with him. And and at that time, I didn't think anything about either one of them leaving. And uh, and I still don't know much about that. I'd, I think it'd be, uh, uh, I know they're friends and neighbors. And, uh, you know, I know that counts for a lot, but... Uh, you know, Cochran's got a pretty good job here, and uh, and I think he just built a new gym here so that, uh, you know, he's got something else going besides just uh, like he wasn't making enough money from the University of Alabama. He's got a little something else going on the side. So I'm not saying it's not true or it is uh, because I don't have the foggiest idea that he's going. I suspect he is because that rumor's out there. But, um, again, that is something I would have. I couldn't name another strength and conditioning coach in college football, so uh, I'd say I couldn't begin to tell you who he might be thinking about bringing in. Well, um, now, um, let's see. I, don't, I was looking from stats earlier tonight, and uh, you're right. He left train wreck at least offensively down there talking about uh, must camp. Uh, where did I see? Oh. The 92 in scoring offense, 104 in rushing offense, 74 in passing offense, and total deep offense are 104. Now, he left them good in defense because there's five in scoring defense, seven in rushing defense, nine in passing defense, and five in total defense. So, you, you think this might be a real low in scoring game, or you think it could be a little higher? I'm pitching 27-6. Well, I hadn't thought about a score yet, but uh, I, I I think I, I think I saw Alabama's. I don't even. Uh, Drew said they were a big favorite. I know they are, but I can't remember what the number was. Was it fifteen or seventeen? Seventeen. Seventeen. They It was twelve for about an hour to bet Alabama Man, that's amazing. But. You know, I, I would think that Alabama would be good for that. If somebody put a gun to my head and said, you've got to bet on the game, I'd bet on Alabama, given those points. Uh, but uh, and that uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that Alabama's going to 
score a whole lot of points. I just don't think Florida's going to score much on Alabama. So I think that Alabama uh, should win the game handily. And I think in uh, terms of the you know the so-called over/under, which is usually between what about 46 and 66, uh, it might fall under that. Uh, it might fall pretty low. So uh, that number you said, 20, what did you say, 26 to seven or something like that? You know that uh, yeah. that that sounds reasonable. Yeah. Well, um, I don't. You know, I don't. You know, now. Let, now before the quarterback got suspended, were they all? How were they offensively before he got suspended, or do or do y'all really know? Uh, Greer. Yeah. They were they were better. <laughs> they were better at quarterback for sure. Uh, he was their first team quarterback, and for a reason. And uh, Brian Harris is a uh, nifty little athlete. There's no question about that. But he's not near the quarterback that they had. I saw him. I saw him play in a high school game on television a few years ago. He was, it was sort of surprised me. He was going to Florida because he was a good running quarterback in high school, but I, I don't remember him ever throwing the ball, or he didn't watch me him doing that when he was in high. But, uh, but um, I'm trying to think what else. Uh, now, okay, this is something I can bring up. Alabama is three and four against Florida in the SEC championship game, so we got a we got a lot of incentive. But another one is that we need to even the score at four and four in the in the championship game. So. Yeah, it'd be a, be a good thing to get, and uh, you know, and uh, <clears throat> but uh, you know what I like is the idea of getting another SEC championship, which would be our twenty fifth, and the next mm-hmm. two. Uh, we would equal the total of the next two, Tennessee with 13 and Georgia with 12. So I think that'd be ah. a good, good place to get to. Ah, Lee, I didn't even know that's pretty interesting. Uh, trivia, uh, trivia day on that. I'm full of Good Lord. Appreciate it. All right, Big C, we appreciate you calling, man. I'll holler at you later in the week. Uh, have a good night, and uh, I'm going to have Thomas give you the uh, hobnail boot now so we can wrap things up. He's gone. Uh, Kirk, I want to join us to any final thoughts for our listeners about the game. I think we all agree. I, I don't want to get forward in. I think I'm going to change mine to 24-7 because I have to remind myself that Florida really don't have a field goal kicker. So I'm going to go 24-7 and say they, they barely cover. I guess that's a, a, a wash or whatever they call it. But, uh, a push. A push. Call a push. And Thomas Watts, we want to congratulate him. Uh, his alma mater, McGill Tulin, won its first ever state football championship just a few moments ago by holding off Spain Park. Uh, I believe it was final was 14-12. to 12, But they... Uh, yeah, good job by McGill Tulin and uh, first ever blue map in Bryant Dean Stadium for them. They've long been a volleyball power uh, with the Dirty Dozen going back to in the seventies, but they are now a football power. So, Thomas, uh, our congratulations to you on that. It, it's pretty cool, I have to say. And Kurt, thank you so much for joining us tonight on Bams Radio. I'll be touched. We've uh, been talking to Kurt McNair about. Of course, we did hear from Paul and Big Steve McGuire. We already merger and Tom Goldcamp of uh, 
the 24-7 side, oh, brought it tonight, and Drew brought it, and Thomas brought it, and I tried to bring it. So I want to thank everyone for uh, listening to another edition of Bama's for Drew Yarman, Bruce with ESPN 977 Design Thomas, this is Touchdown Alabama Mag. I'm with BamaMag.com. I'm Gary Park. And again, thanks for listening to Bams Radio. Good night and roll tide, everybody. Roll tide. Thank you to Big C and to Kirk. I got 1310. And one last thing remember, December the 8th, we're going to be honoring the Carrie Good at the Old Greenbrier in Huntsville, Alabama. Come join us and help uh, Kerry, and we're trying to help his cause with ALS and raise some money. And a lot of former Alabama players are going to be there, everyone that listens. And uh, if you want to come on out and help us raise some money for Kerry Good, please do that. We really appreciate it.